Welcome to The Intersection, a series on the IQT podcast where we discuss the intersection between technology and national security. I'm Martin Giles, the editorial director of IQT and host of today's episode. Before we start the discussion, I just want to take a moment to inform our listeners that this episode was recorded prior to October the 7th and therefore does not mention the current events taking place in the Israel-Hamas conflict. We hope you enjoy this episode and let's dive right in. Welcome to The Intersection, a series on the IQT podcast where we discuss the intersection between technology and national security. I'm Martin Giles, the editorial director of IQT, and I've actually hijacked this podcast today. The normal host is Steve Bauscher, uh, but we've turned the tables. Actually, I am going to be interviewing Steve for a change. Thank you, Steve, for allowing me to sit in your very nice chair. I'm, um, I'm very excited to be on this side. We'll see how it goes. As some of you may know, Steve has been with IQT for 17 years. He started as managing partner, and then in 2020, he became president. And then just recently, he took over from IQT's Chris Darby as CEO. And today, we're going to be discussing IQT's journey from pioneering venture investing for national security to its global role. We'll also explore the importance of public-private partnerships and how they relate to dual technologies and their use. We'll review the evolving nature of great power competition and highlight the importance of the changes in America's national capital stack and how that has implications for harnessing technologies for national security and economic prosperity. Steve, congratulations on becoming CEO. Um, before we talk about your uh, vision for the future here, uh, let's just start briefly about the past. I kind of gave a little bit of a bio there, but how did you get into venture investing and how has your role evolved at IQT? Sure. So uh, I'll go back to the beginning, as all good stories uh, do, Martin. Uh, I grew up in Washington, D.C., with my dad working 25 years for the private sector and 20 years for the federal government. Always thought I would do some of both in, in my life. Uh, and in 1992, I went off to uh, California, to Stanford, to go to business school. Uh, uh, and I thought I was going to come back uh, after two years to uh, uh, D.C. and spend the rest of my life in D.C. because uh, I, I love this area uh, so much. I drove cross-country on the northern route uh, out to California and planned to come back on the southern route. Uh, back there. But I stayed. Uh, and I stayed because when I got out to California, uh, I got exposed for the first time to the entrepreneurial nature of Silicon Valley. I just fell in love with uh, 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 that culture, that community. And so I decided uh, to stay out there. And like any good young uh, 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 person in Silicon Valley, I worked for th uh, uh, three startup companies. And uh, uh, I like to joke, one went out business, one got bought, one went public. So I had the whole spectrum of outcomes. Only three things can happen to a startup company. And, and, and I experienced uh, uh, each of them once. Um, but at the end of that experience, uh, uh, it seemed like uh, uh, what I was really excited about was uh, getting involved in the venture capital industry. And so I was fortunate enough to get a job in uh, January of 1999 with a firm called Interwest Partners. And I, uh, I was there for somewhere between seven and eight years as a, a, a partner. Um, but what happened is, uh, if you recall the history, um, the 
January 1999 was the tail end of a bubble period in venture capital. Venture capital is a cyclical business. It goes up and down. And uh, uh, getting a job is the easiest to do at the tail end of the bubble when all firms are expanding and raising more money and they want more people. Uh, but keeping uh, a job when you, uh, uh, you join in that when time is harder, right? Because well, you're not in the veteran industry long enough to achieve positive returns right. when the bubble bursts. And also all your initial investments that you were responsible for are underwater from a valuation perspective. Uh, so first order of uh, business was to keep my job, which I was able to do. But my second uh, order of business in the sort of 2002, 2004 uh, uh, timeframe was to figure out how to differentiate myself in a now much harder, more competitive business than when I joined. And so I started to think about how I could do that. And one of the things that came back to me was this idea that the U.S. government was this large, important buyer of uh, uh, commercial products and technologies, but they were never an early stage customer of any of the companies that I was looking at. And I started to think to myself, if I could help figure out how to help startup companies figure that out, that's a way to differentiate myself in the business. So I surveyed the CEOs of my portfolio and said, hey, who would like to spend some time in D.C. figuring out how to sell to D.C.? Uh, the U.S. government, and one CEO raised his hand, Chris Darby. And so Chris and I spent some time in uh, uh, D.C. talking to people. That's when we first met Inkytel. And uh, Inkytel was actually lined up to invest in Chris's company when instead we sold it to uh, 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 Intel Corporation. Uh, 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 but that was the genesis of the idea for Chris and I of you know uh, figuring out, hey, what is this issue with why startup companies uh, don't do very well selling to the U.S. government? And so fast forward a, a year later, as Chris was finishing up his uh, uh, contract with Intel Corporation to make the acquisition go through, uh, um, uh, Inkytel approached Chris about uh, becoming CEO. See, Chris then approached me about becoming managing partner and leading the West Coast operations here. And for me, it was sort of bringing the two parts of my life together, part of my life growing up in D.C. with uh, uh, my parents and my friend's parents working for the U.S. government, and then the uh, part of mine. Uh, being in Silicon Valley since 1992, working with startup companies. Got so it. I made the leap and uh, had a lot of fun ever since. I mean, it really is a unique place. You know, Inkytel now known as IQT. It's kind of at that, that intersection, as the podcast suggests, yeah. of technology, venture capital, and government. Um, Steve, I also hear that you are a demon basketball player. Does the fact that you've now become CEO mean that Steph Curry and LeBron have much less to worry about? I still try and play twice a week. Uh, I have a regular game that I'm a part of, 7 a.m. Tuesday and Friday mornings in California. Um, with my travel schedule and my work schedule, I'm, I'm, I'm not playing twice a week. Uh, I'm playing probably less than once a week. But it's still a lot of fun, and, and there is no better exercise. There's no better uh, activity for me just to get away from everything else and just uh, de-stress. And so I, I, I love doing it when I can. That's great. Now, talking about a slam dunk, um, when IQT, we're going to call it IQT, even though it wasn't called IQT at the time, you know, began investing in the national security kind of mission, it was it was like boldly going where no venture capitalist had gone before. It really was a, a kind of a pioneer in the field. Um, can you just talk briefly about how important that mission is and then how it's evolved over time? Sure. So I think, again, go back to the origins here of uh, 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 Inkytel. Um, Inkytel was created by CIA in 1999. It was created for a couple of reasons. Everyone thinks the simplest reason is, oh, CIA wanted to access buy, you know, uh, uh, emerging technology in a different uh, form or another. But it was really more not, they didn't just want to access that technology. They also wanted to understand it better. And they want to influence uh, 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 product directions and product features in some form or another. They'd had this relationship traditionally with the big corporate R&D labs in, in the United States, which is where innovation had traditionally occurred 
uh, uh, in this country. But what they recognized in 1999, and it was controversial back then, but much more readily understood today, is or accepted today, is that innovation had shifted in the United States to these 10,000, back then, 10,000 plus uh, uh, venture-backed startup companies in the United States. And so they wanted an entity, an organization that could help them understand what innovation was occurring there, influence the direction where possible, and also help them access it and, 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 and deploy it in mission operational environments. And that was really the mission that they gave Incutel. Uh, 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 back in, in 1999 when they created us. And like any organization, it took us a while to figure out exactly all right, what should we do to uh, attack that mission. But ultimately, I think we figure that out and have uh, been a good partner of the IC ever since. So talking about partnerships here, you know, under your predecessor, Chris Darby's leadership, you know, IQT really became a successful example of public-private partnerships, and there aren't too many of those. And it really helps the US intelligence community benefit from cutting-edge dual-use technologies. What do you think have been the, like, the keys to the success of that partnership? Sure, I think there are a couple uh, keys to the success. The first thing I would say is, I like to use the word trust, because that's a very important word, and one that I use often to describe InQtel. Uh, in order to be successful uh, uh, in this mission, we ultimately had to build up trust on both sides of the equation. Trust with the venture capitalists and the entrepreneurs, trust with the government agencies, and we've done so over the time. The uh, leading venture capital firms and their entrepreneurs now trust InQtel to evaluate their company's technology and say, is there an application of this technology uh, uh, to one or more of the government agencies we work with? And if so, what's the most effective and efficient manner for them to go pursue that? Similarly, the uh, US government agencies used to work, look at these startups and say they're inherently speculative and risky. Why should we uh, uh, base any action or any uh, uh, efforts uh, uh, on these technologies when these companies could go away uh, tomorrow? They now trust us, InQtel, to evaluate the financial viability of these startup companies. And even though, say, even though this one's losing money, has 12 months of cash on its balance sheet, it's a uh, good management team, good investors, it's going to be around for a while. It's stable enough and uh, 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 strong enough for you to start basing uh, uh, multi-year uh, mission operational decisions based on the idea that this technology is going to be around, available, and probably continue to be the leader uh, 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 in its category. Got it. And, and you know, this model was kind of pioneered right. in, in America, but under, under Chris's leadership and, and, and when you were president, you know, IQT became this global investing platform. Can you talk a little bit about the, the thinking behind the expansion and, and where you see that developing? Sure. So, um, you know, fast forward over the 24 years that we've talked about, uh, uh, um, we started out solving one particular mission for the, the agency and the other agencies that we worked with, which was uh, how to invest to deliver capabilities. Uh, uh, and, and that really meant how to invest in companies and ultimately see those companies, uh, uh, great technology deployed in mission operational environments to allow these agencies to be successful in, in what they're trying to do. Today, 24 years later, we're now asked by these uh, uh, agencies not just to invest to deliver capabilities, but also to invest to deliver insights, understand commercial technology, where it's going, and uh, how it could help uh, 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 these uh, 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 agencies understand what adversaries might be uh, uh, doing with that. In order to do that, uh, we had to expand beyond the borders of the US to un understand where technology is going around the world. And we launched ultimately a, a, a partnership that we call InQtel International with funding from the US government, the UK government, and the Australian government. We've now opened up offices in London, Singapore, uh, Sydney, and Germany. And we invest roughly 10%, 15% maybe, 
of the uh, 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 deals we do each year are investments in uh, foreign uh, 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 companies. And that allows us, one, to access the best technology for our customers to take advantage from a capabilities perspective, but also allows us to develop the most, uh, 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 the, the strongest sense of where technology is going and how it might be used and how China and Russia and other adversaries might be using it uh, uh, to project power and influence geopolitical events around the world. And, and, and that's a great segue. I mean, if we, if we now look at kind of the impact that IQT's work has had from a national security perspective, I know, you know, some of the portfolio companies, for example, have been active, very active in, in Ukraine. Right. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the work that's come out of that? Sure. So um, the Ukraine conflict has been an incredibly eye-opening experience for, I think, a lot of people in terms of the role of commercial technology uh, uh, that has played in, in that conflict. We are very proud of the fact that over 30 Inkytel portfolio companies have had technologies deployed to support uh, 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 the Western efforts uh, uh, in Ukraine in, in the uh, conflict with, with Russia. But more significantly, I would say, is uh, uh, everyone's learning what the future of warfare looks like, warfare looks like, and the role of drones, uh, 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 the role of commercial technologies uh, playing in, in uh, communications, the role of commercial technologies playing in, in, in sensing, uh, the role of commercial technologies uh, uh, playing in, in, in cyber activities. Uh, uh, that has, everyone knew the world was headed in that direction, but Ukraine has been the manifestation of that and people are realizing it's at, happening at a larger scale and happening more quickly than was previously expected. As people start to plan for other conflicts, whether that's in uh, 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 Taiwan or other places, people are realizing that they need to accelerate their adoption of new technology in their understanding of how and best best ways to deploy commercial technology in order to advance mission. I, I think it's fascinating. I mean, all of those doma domains that you mentioned, you know, I, we've really seen this brought to the fore, yeah. and I, in, even in areas like tracking illicit capital flows and yeah. spotting people who are trying to breach sanctions, you know, software playing a huge, hugely important role there. It's really been a game changer moment. Um, but if we sort of look at the impact in other ways too of the work that IQT's done. I'm thinking, for example, in terms of economic impact. Yeah. You know, there's the there's the national security impact, but what about economic impact? I mean, how, how do we think about that? How do you think about that? You know, I, I think we think about it in a couple of different ways. The U.S. is the strongest nation in the world right now, both uh, from a military perspective and from an economic perspective, uh, uh, because uh, uh, it is the most advanced uh, country in the world when it comes to technology. Techno being a techno technology leader in the world drives both uh, uh, national security capability and economic uh, uh, capability. We have, for the first time uh, uh, in, in, in our history, a peer competitor uh, uh, in, in China that's attempting to use technology uh, 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 to assert leadership both in the economic and the national security realms. And so we have a, 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 a robust challenger uh, 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 to our uh, leadership position and our leadership position, you know, enables us to have the high quality of life for our citizens. So it's something that I think we want to continue to hold as, as best we can as, as a country. And and so there are now, I think, identify technology areas that it's in the country's interest for there to be U.S. leadership uh, 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 in, in those areas in order to maintain our economic uh, 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 place in the world and our military place in the world. Those technology areas today include autonomy, cyber, uh, AI, uh, batteries, advanced power, uh, um, uh, 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 
uh, engineered biology uh, um, uh, or synthetic biology. I think those areas in particular are areas that the nation and the U.S. government in some form or another has said those are the technical areas where uh, uh, leadership is going to drive economic success, military capability, and geopolitical influence around the world. And so I think it's in our nation's interest to see American companies and American uh, entrepreneurs uh, emerge as the leaders in, in those areas. So over the past decade, there's been this kind of trend. Before that, there was offshoring, like move stuff to the most cheapest, the, the most efficient place in the world to manufacture outside of America often. Now, the last decade is kind of like we've started to see a move back. And I think the pandemic has kind of highlighted the supply chain security issues and a lot more onshoring is happening. Um, how have IQT's companies um, contributed to that? I mean, are they bringing jobs back or are they creating more jobs here? So it's a great point, Martin. And uh, uh, you're absolutely right. We had a decade long trend to try and optimize supply chains for efficiency. What we learned though is the most efficient supply chains in some ways are the most brittle, right? Because you take all the slack out of the system in order to get the efficiency right, that you want. Right. And the, uh, the pandemic and other events have shown us that when uh, 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 these supply chains are most efficient and they are controlled in uh, uh, significant degrees by countries other than the U.S., when you're in a crisis mode and it's every country for uh, 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 them, themselves, that's not a great uh, position uh, uh, to, to be in. And so you're seeing for the first time uh, an effort by the U.S. government that some people are calling industrial uh, policy. Uh, um, uh, uh, to try and think through what's in the nation's interest here uh, uh, from a supply chain perspective and what incentives and other mechanisms can the U.S. government uh, 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 deploy to try and, and make our supply chains more robust uh, and, you start, and resilient are the words you're starting to hear as opposed to efficient. Uh, 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 and uh, uh, to drive resiliency, you want to have more control over your uh, 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 supply chain, which means keeping more of that here in the U.S. and where you are outsourcing, outsourcing to countries where you have high degree of confidence that you will be friends in the long term and you will be allies in the long term and you will do things in the collective best interest of, of them. And so we're seeing that uh, uh, happen as a uh, trend within the government policy and we're seeing that happen as a trend within our investing strategy. So we have invested in over 80 companies uh, uh, to date that have developed uh, 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 and deployed manufacturing uh, capabilities here in the United States. Uh, those manufacturing capabilities are not just the same ways we've done manufacturing as well. Because if you do the same thing, if you manufacture in the same way as the low-cost providers of manufacturing do in uh, uh, other parts of the world, you're not going to win. Uh, uh, so in order to be successful here in the United States, you have to deploy manufacturing capability here that reflects a new way to do manufacturing that has a, a better economic uh, 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 trade-off that gives you incentives to keep uh, uh, and retain the manufacturing here in the U.S. And that's what those 80-plus companies are doing. That's driving jobs. But more importantly, it's, it's driving capability that will be incredibly important to the U.S. for the next decade or two. Got it. Perfect. Um, you know, I, I mentioned at uh, the beginning of our conversation, you know, when IQT started, it was kind of you know, a voice in the wilderness of national security investing, you know, kind of, um, you know, going boldly where no one had gone before. But it turns out it wasn't the final frontier. Now there are a whole bunch of other players coming into the kind of national security investing space. And it's getting getting busy, which is good for America. Um, how do you think about this change landscape? And how does that play into this meta change? 
change that we were discussing in terms of the rise of China and great, you know, a new era of great power competition. You're absolutely right. We were the lonely voice in the wilderness for, for, for a long time, and now that's changed. And that's changed because I think we, Incutel, demonstrated uh, uh, the, the importance of, of this to both the entrepreneurial and venture capital community and, 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 the, and the government agencies that we work with. And so now you're seeing on the government side a lot of other initiatives uh, uh, being stood up to help uh, achieve uh, similar goals to, to what uh, 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 Incutel does. So you've seen groups like DIU and AFWorks and uh, uh, Office of Strategic Capital and a number of agencies have outposts now uh, within Silicon Valley. Similarly, in Silicon Valley, We've seen the rise of pure play investment funds just dedicated to the national security technology space, typically small early stage funds uh, uh, today, but we're also seeing the launch of the first growth stage fund in this space, the U.S. Innovative uh, uh, Technologies led by a guy named Thomas Toll. Uh, um, I think there will be other uh, 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 firms coming uh, uh, that will be pure play firms uh, like the ones I've just described. But then you're also going to see, or you also are seeing, uh, uh, brand name top tier venture firms like Andreessen Horowitz, like General Catalyst, like Lux Capital, like Founders Fund, uh, 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 um, Data uh, uh, DCVC. You know, uh, uh, you're you're seeing firms like that create investment uh, 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 strategies and uh, 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 pillars of their firm be investing in this space as well, and that's great. We're thrilled with that. It's what we've been advocating. For, for, for a long time. And now, now that's a real uh, 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 segment of the investing world. People are going to look at it a little bit differently and measure it a little bit differently. And so it's really important that we see the continuation of a handful of companies emerge as incredibly valuable uh, 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 companies. We've seen that with Palantir. We've seen that with SpaceX. We're about, and we're seeing it, uh, I would say, with uh, uh, Anduril. And we expect another uh, uh, one or two to emerge uh, uh, pretty soon uh, uh, beyond that. Because that it's a hits-driven business in the venture capital industry, and so the venture capitalists are going to need to see some number of very successful companies emerge from all this activity and all this funding, because we're seeing billions of dollars invested in these startup companies in this area. And if they see that, then they will continue to pour money uh, uh, into this space. And that's great for, for the U.S. government. And it, and it is great. And as you say, it's hits-driven business. So the more more chances that are out there, the more bets that are taken, the yeah. more hits hopefully we'll have. At the same time, you know, IQT has been doing this for almost 25 years. Next right. year's our 25th anniversary. You know, we've really developed a kind of unique playbook uh, in terms of bringing technology from, you know, uh, early stage commercial use right. into the government. What do you think are the kind of the secrets? What's the secret sauce here? And how do you think about developing it in the future in your new role as right. CEO? I think there are a couple of things uh, as part of the secret sauce. And we talked about one of them already, which is trust. You have to build the trust. And trust doesn't happen o overnight, uh, uh, which speaks to the second point, which is longevity. So Incutel has been around 25 years. Our team's been around for a long time, right? I've been around for 17 years. Uh, you look at the exec team at Incutel right now, everybody's been around double digit. You look uh, so young, uh, Steve. I can't I, believe I, appreciate it. I got involved when I was 20, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 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 you know, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons why we are the one enduring success story uh, of any of these public-private partnerships that have been created over the 25 years to try and address this problem is we're the one that has had a consistency of leadership. You know, we've, uh, I'm the, uh, uh, in, in essence, the third CEO uh, in Inkytel's 25-year uh, uh, history. Our team has been around for a long time. That's how you build trusted relationships. Too often, the government will deploy an initiative and cycle the leadership every two or three years. And that is just too much change uh, uh, to allow you to build those trusted relationships I talked uh, the first. 
The third uh, and final key I, I would say to why we've been successful is uh, you have to understand at the end of the day what success really is. And, and, and for our companies, success is contractual revenue uh, uh, with our, our, our government customers. For our government customers, success is uh, a deployment of mission technology in operational environments that can allow them to effectively pursue their missions uh, 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 in, in a better manner. Um, nothing else matters, uh, 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 I, I would say, with the exception of uh, the understanding and insight into where technology is going. But we are very focused on those success endpoints. A lot of other groups will focus on what I call the introduction uh, uh, phase. We want to introduce uh, VCs and entrepreneurs to end users, uh, uh, get them together talking, and then good stuff will happen. We'll sort of wash right. our hands. The solution transfer uh, 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 phenomenon that I talked about uh, uh, before, getting those technologies deployed in a mesh operational environment is a tough thing to do. And you have to throw humans at it, and you have to spend a lot of time and effort breaking down all the friction points that exist to keep startup companies from selling successfully to the U.S. government and the U.S. government from successfully adopting uh, uh, technologies from the startup company. We do that. We have a, uh, a process to that we call a work program. It's proven out to be very successful. We have a lot of uh, uh, people in this organization that we applied to solving those problems, and we measure ourselves ruthlessly and uh, 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 continuously uh, on how we're doing uh, uh, against those metrics. And I don't think the other entities in this space have, have, have had such a strong uh, focus on that as we do. And I think that's our, our third key differentiator. That's really interesting. Yeah, I've heard of several people say, you know, IQT, uh, unlike other VCs who invest for kind of financial impact, yeah. we invest purely for mission impact. That's exactly. the goal. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, that's great. Um, I've heard you talk about something called the national capital stack, the U.S. national capital stack, and the importance of aligning it better. What do you mean by the national capital stack? It's not a stack of pancakes. It's like a, a stack of money, I guess. And, and what do you mean by kind of that misalignment? What's the problem here? So, so when we first started InQtel, one of the things we started to think about or measure in some form or another is uh, uh, if the... Back then, the U.S. venture capital community was investing $80 billion a year. Now, it's probably doubled. You know, they're probably investing around $150, $175 billion a year. And, you know, we thought success for us was increasing the percent or share of that annual budget or annual uh, 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 funding uh, uh, to be invested in technologies of interest to the agencies we uh, represented. So, you know. The idea that when we first got in this business, a lot of that money was going to consumer uh, uh, technology companies and software as a service apps that you know weren't necessarily per uh, pertinent to uh, the U.S. government. They were not investing in things like uh, uh, commercial satellites or drones or uh, some of these other areas that are of interest to our customers. And we've seen that shift over time. That's a, 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 in, our, in our mind one of the indications of success of Enkutel. But uh, as we started to broaden our vision of the world, we started to realize what they're really uh, 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 exists is a capital stack on the private uh, uh, side that, that funds innovation. And that stack starts with uh, 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 commercial R&D. It goes to early stage venture, then it goes to late stage or growth stage venture, then it goes to PE, and then it goes to public company uh, 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 product de development. But that stack is hundreds of billions of dollars you know, uh, uh, in, in, in size. And it's uh, uh, being a invested against a whole wide variety of innovative new technologies uh, for the commercial sector. 
Similarly, the government has its own version of the, uh, the capital stack, right? They fund a lot of money into uh, R&D through uh, DARPA and NSF and national labs and, and, and things like that. They also then uh, uh, provide lots of money through loans and, and, and other uh, 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 subsidies through things like DOE and uh, um, DFC and, uh, and other elements like that. They have tax incentives. They have tax breaks. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to the uh, uh, capital stack on the government side that is also hundreds of billions of dollars in, in size and scope. And as I said earlier, we started to come to this realization now that there are technologies in the national interest for both the private sector and the public sector that uh, we would like to see developed here in the United States. But there's real no, no real alignment at all between those two capital stacks, right? What the There's no conversation between the government and the uh, private sector like, hey, these are the areas of technology that are important. It just sort of happens when it happens and doesn't happen when it doesn't happen. You know, and there are now people in the government for the first time, led by Senator Warner, who are having this conversation of like, hey, how do we align the capital stacks? How do we make sure these hundreds of billions of dollars on either side are, are, are being pointed in the same direction at technologies of most strategic interest to our, our, our country? We feel like InQtel can play a role in the signaling of, of, of where that uh, alignment uh, lies. We have built up the relationship over the 24 plus years that we've uh, uh, existed such that uh, the private sector views our investing activity as a signal where the U.S. government cares about. The U.S. government uh, 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 has learned to trust that our instincts are good when it comes to where we're investing as signals of these are the technologies uh, we, the U.S. government, should be caring about. And so we're trying to figure out how we can more formally use our investing activities to signal to both sides of the, the capital stack that, hey, we should be aligning our activities against these areas of technology. Well, that's a super exciting sort of vision for the future. And I, I look forward to, to coming back on a podcast in the future and taking over from you again and asking you some more questions about that. Um, but we're running out of time. So finally, it's great having a, a wonderful playbook. Right. But if you don't have first class players, the playbook's useless. So, so Steve, what advice would you give to future generations of leaders in national security investing, you know, those who are thinking of coming into the field? Sure. So I think I give them advice uh, to focus on three things. First is, how do I build trust? Uh, we talked about that earlier and, and how important that is. But uh, 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 there's a lot of distrust in this market. That's why this uh, uh, chasm exists. Startup, startup companies distrust uh, government's uh, uh, ability to be a good customer uh, for them. And these startup companies always have choice about where they can uh, uh, spend their time and what customers they can serve. And so they're looking for the best customers uh, to serve. And, and, and so we, you have to figure out a way to build up trust with the entrepreneurs that uh, this government market is the market to spend time on. Similarly, you have to build up trust with the uh, government agencies that these you know, speculative startup companies are worthy of spending their time on that. So you have to focus on trust is the first thing. The second thing I would say is you have to focus on impact. You know, Impact for the agencies, as we've discussed before here, is getting great technology deployed in measuring operational environments. And, and impact for the startup companies is getting customers with revenue uh, 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 that they can scale and, and serve profitably. So you have to focus on that. The third thing I would say is focus on the team. Your, your point about eight, eight, eight players here. You know, we've been very fortunate at Inkytel to build up a tremendous uh, 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 team that is able to uh, uh, lead us in our execution. And that team is a mix of people that are uh, uh, skilled in investment, skilled in technology, and skilled in understanding how the government works. Those are the three things that we look for when, when, when we hire. And so I think to be successful in this area, you have to build a team that is uh, successful, knowledgeable, and skilled in those three areas as well. 
so so the advice to the individuals would be I probably specialize in one of those areas or I mean or ideally get experience across all three before you come in and... oh if, if it's just an individual who wants to come in I yeah. would say you have to be good at one of those three you know you right. have to right you know someone has to hire you because you're an a player in one of those three areas uh, but if you're a future if you're trying to build a firm in this area in the future then you have to build a team that is strong in all three of those areas it was the point I was making Got it, Steve. Thank you. Well, thank you, Steve, for being with me today on the on your podcast, The Intersection. And thank you, the audience, for being with us today um, for, and joining us for this episode of The Intersection on the IQT podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast uh, so you don't miss any future great episodes that we have coming up. And do leave us a review or a comment on let us know what you think about the podcast and what you'd be interested to see as a topic for future ones. I'd also encourage you to check out the IQT website at www.iqt.org to explore more content about this fascinating and all-important intersection of technology, venture capital, and government mission investing. Thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.